Wave Act, the web-free software company that understands what you want. Hi everyone, welcome at WaveAct. Today with Eric Hansel, who is the founder of the Scubaverse and ESG DAO. He is also early SASB working group member of the hospitality and supply chain and code action plan member, which is uh, presented to the UN General Assembly earlier this year. And today we talk about DAOs, NFTs and the metaverse and how to engage the youth into ESG. Thank you, Eric, for being here. It's a pleasure talking with you. And starting out, I would like to give you the opportunity to let us know what are your passions, what are you working on right now, and yeah, whatever you want to talk about. Thanks, Kevin, and thanks for having me on the podcast. We had a great conversation, and hopefully this will just be a continuation of that. Um, I'm sure. So now the stuff that I, well, the stuff that I love is nature and walking, and I'm walking around right now as we're doing this. Um, I think that the time that I spend with the people I care about mostly is in nature, either walking by the beach or, um, or scuba diving or uh, walking in the woods or camping. And uh, for a long time, my work brain has been focused on bringing the feeling that I get when I do those things to other people uh, by way of engaging them towards action on sustainability initiatives. And it started back uh, in the early 2000s in the casino industry. Um, and I came up with the concept that we could make slot machines more energy efficient and um, brought together a standard development team. And at the end of the process, we had done so much more than that for the industry that I cared about a lot at that time, uh, the casino industry. And um, through a partnership with the World Series of Poker and with uh, Esquire magazine, we helped to show poker players that it was possible to be sustainable just by doing the things that they normally do. And we did that by building a simple eco-friendly poker table that we used uh, at the World Series of Poker and um, that Harris used to talk about their commitment to sustainability. I think that that kind of dual experience in the, in, in, in the casino industry showed me that you can't do the policy kind of stuff without the engagement side of it. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I see now um, in, in working on the codes action plan. During the presentation to the General Assembly, we have a 90-page document that kind of gives uh, a macro view of what digital transformation looks like globally and how the UN stakeholders, countries, can 
use this roadmap to enable technology to to enable technology to get them to the place they want to be financially while at the same time adhering to uh, certain ideals that enable you to reach the sustainable development goals which is sort of the thing that the UN is all about right now as far as, at least as far as my world goes um, so the thing is when you have a document like this and and it's it presented to the general assembly and and then you get back together afterwards and it comes out from the leadership that the biggest problem that we will have with this is engagement and follow through and it, and it kind of struck me that you know there are times when I try to get my six-year-old daughter to eat certain vegetables and I can't get her to do it without a fight and the UN has the same exact problem everybody does it's how do you engage people towards the action that either they said they would do or they need to do and uh, this has been this has been the lesson that I learned I think the most from that casino experience was that you could do the policy work the standard development the roadmap work but if you don't make the barrier of entry like zero for people they're not going to do it no matter what it is you're not going to change someone's behavior by making it difficult for them to do the thing you think they need to do. So that's that's sort of how I come at this stuff. Uh, 100%. Uh, I fully agree. Basically, don't make people think, right? Uh, when they really just need... Well, just considering that the attention span gets shortened uh, every year, basically, somehow, I think everyone recognizes, at least uh, myself, uh, I see it every day that you need to actually push through more when it comes to content creation or, as you said, engaging people to do some kind of action that you want them to do. And you mentioned two very interesting points. Basically, it's twofold, right? Make it as easy as possible to enter the engagement, the, to enter the system, the platform, whatever, right? And then keep them, right? Keep them engaged so that they actually see value and have interest in it long term to actually do what, for example, helps to achieve those sustainability, uh, sustainability goals, right? And yeah. And, yeah. And I think it plays really well with the Web3 stuff, too. And I'll, and I'll talk about it like that because I think that your audience uh, especially understands the web three side of things you know everybody talks about when is mass adoption coming right and and by everybody i mean like all a hundred thousand of us not like not a lot of people in the grand scheme of things and it's more than a hundred thousand but when is mass adoption coming it's coming when it's just the internet like when it's when we stop talking about it like it's some big crazy thing that people have to learn how to set up a wallet, 
transfer money in, transfer money to an exchange, then tra- like transfer to a different exchange, switch the network. I mean, how difficult is it to do the kind of things that we are all hoping will become mainstream right now? And it's just that we're at the beginning. And at the beginning, you have to let yourself be at the beginning. You can't rush to the end. Because if you do, you come up with a shitty product that nobody wants. So you got to take your time and test it out and see what works and see what doesn't. And, you know, it was really interesting from a macro viewpoint to see what happened with um, the board ape versus uh, CryptoPunks last year. Like, it was this, does, is it just a picture that matters and people will pay a bazillion dollars for it? Or does it have to come with something that actually has real tangible value? And and it was very easy. Like, Board Apes won, no question. Now they own them. No, like, so we're, we're we're just in the like collectible phase though of this market and for this market to be a sustainable long-term thing we need it to be you know people buying cars on chain people buying property on chain supply chains existing on chain corporate board oversight existing on chain like these are the things these are the reasons why, as a sustainability person, someone who thinks that the ESG market is broken, I think that blockchain is the thing that could help to save or transform the ESG market. The ESG market, environmental, social, and governance, by the way, is over $40 trillion of assets under management. That's over a third of all global assets under management. And it's complete bullshit. It doesn't matter who you talk to. If you talk to bankers, they think it's bullshit. If you talk to sustainability people, they think it's bullshit. Like, back when I was doing the SASB stuff, maybe that was like 2014-ish, we were talking about this concept of sustainability being material to a company's success. And SASB is the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board. It was modeled after something called FASB, the Financial Accounting Standards Board. When you when corporations report on their 10K forms, they're using FASB standards to report. SASB looked to be the thing that allowed for companies to talk about more of the soft stuff, the the material impact of having board oversight, the material impact of investing in renewable products. And the chair at the time was Michael Bloomberg. So it was like very well funded, very well taken uh you know there was a lot of people that would show up to these meetings and um while i was invited to participate in the hospitality and supply chain stuff 
I would always go to the aerospace stuff because it was so cool. I mean, <laughs> like the craziest people would show up to talk at these things. So, um, but we were looking to lay out a framework for companies to use the sustainable tech that was developed or was being developed to allow them to achieve net zero status or to mitigate their carbon 100 percent the problem was this the offsets that we were talking about were supposed to be an on-ramp the carbon offsets those carbon offsets because they're cheap and they're easy for companies have become the highway they are the thing that companies do and then they say look we're net zero we've paid off like we've we've bought carbon credits to counteract all the bad stuff we've done and it really doesn't work that way let's say it did work that way right that that you could do that how many carbon projects sequestration projects do you need globally to offset all the bullshit that's happening in the oil and gas industry, in anywhere on the fossil fuel supply chain. So now to go back to a macro view, at the with the UN stuff, I see that you know these papers, these policies, these opinions are written on on kind of the best path forward, and they're written like um, a colleague is on the intergovernmental panel for climate change. And, you know, he's one of the scientists that shares the Nobel Prize for climate change. And these are the kinds of scientific documents that the U.N. will base their papers off of. So if you believe in science, which I happen to, um, then you have to kind of listen to the thousands of scientists around the world who participate in this or hundreds that participate in this who all come up with the same conclusion that we need to do better for the planet the thing is as a sustainability person i've been complaining about this for a lot of years and nothing it's really hard to get stuff done because while we understand that the need is to transform our energy systems from ones that pull carbon to ones that are neutral or negative. You need to have this in like this national and state um, incentive and regulation sort of package that comes along with it. Otherwise nothing gets done because, you know, as you talk with energy companies, regulated utilities, global energy companies, it's easy to understand that they produce energy and they want to return to their shareholders. Those two things are very, very clear. The way that they produce energy, I don't think matters as much to them as the media would make it seem. They just need, like, they can't lose money as they transform to this new energy system. 
So right now you have global incentives along with regulation, especially around the kind of reporting that companies will have to do. Um, so right now companies report the emissions that they emit. Uh, and the thing is, for example, like with a bank, they'll say that they have buildings and they have towers, they have computers and servers, and, and that's their energy and that's their carbon output. Scope three emissions, which now is in the EU, and is coming to the US, it got stalled out this year. Scope three emissions means that that same bank has to say, we gave $10 billion to this company that's buying weapons or selling weapons to Russia to invade Ukraine. Well, now what happens immediately is that company is no longer an ESG investor, like an investable company, falls off. Scope 3 emission reporting is going to fuck this thing up. And the opportunity that we have as we see it ahead of time and understand the solutions is to form this ESG DAO. I'm not the only one doing something like this. We understand that the opportunity now is right. The incentives, the regulations, they all line up. We can actually deliver tax advantage financial results along with social and environmental benefits by investing in the things that will transform the energy sector and will reduce the CO2, global CO2 emissions by really the largest amount per bucket. Like transforming the energy sector is 25%. It's a big nut. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess you could hear I'm a little passionate about this stuff. <laughs> Too. that's great that we, we need people like you you know that's super important yeah. and basically we all have uh, should take part to some extent at least to support this mission right because we're all on the same planet planet in the end so there should be some kind of responsibility on every one of us um you said something before really interesting and uh i would really sign that basically Everywhere where you have some kind of, in, where, where the market is not transparent, like as you mentioned before in the ESG sector, where a lot of these investments are actually not uh, going where they should go or how they should go, right? Um, there is a lot of people that have interest in retaining that intransparency because Transparency uh, means giving power away to the market, right? Yeah. And that's possibly the biggest challenge. And one thing, um, I, I'm way not informed enough to talk about these uh, uh, emission certificates, but from my understanding, they have some kind of fixed pricing or something like that, right? It's not like that they're based on the damages that they cause long-term with their emissions because if the costs of buying these certificates would be higher than actually transforming your business to a more sustainable uh, business model, then uh, we wouldn't have this issue right? because every business in the world would be suddenly 
completely sustainable because it's cheaper for them. So. Yeah. So I think that that there's a couple things in there, um, and so to simplify the way that the market works, let's say you own a, um, let's say you own Target, and you're you know you're the or you're the CEO of Target. So you'll have a chief sustainability officer and a bunch of sustainability folks on the team who will quantify all of the emissions that Target puts out there, whether it's through transportation mm -hmm. um, of their products back and forth to their stores and to the customers, but also, you know, really the, the supply chain stuff too. So transportation from maybe the, the OEM or transportation from uh, your brand partner to you of like Disney branded sweatshirts or transportation from small businesses that do importing of like, you know, I, I know someone that does LOL um, licensed stuff at Target. So you have stuff coming from bazillions of different people and you need to be able to quantify all of the emissions that uh, are put out it's not an easy thing for and it's not an easy thing to understand but basically they figure out exactly what the emissions are and then the company if if the only way to mitigate uh, carbon was through offsets, then the company would go out and buy an amount equal to 100% of their emissions to offset it. That's a perfect system. And in order to do that, you know, maybe there's some carbon capture, maybe there's, oops, maybe there's um, renewable energy production. And then, so there's a company, uh, called Native Energy. And they're a Native American-owned energy company, oddly enough. <laughs> and um, they produce renewable energy, and um, they could sell the credits, each renewable energy credit equal to one megawatt, um, for whatever dollars the market will bear. Until this stuff is regulated as mandatory, the market's going to decide. And what the market has decided is it's totally okay for carbon credit uh, generator to sell credits to you, Kevin, mm -hmm. and then sell the same exact credits to someone else because there's a part of the market that wants that. They want to be able to say that they're carbon neutral, but they don't really give a crap. So it doesn't matter that they're not buying a real credit. They're buying a stamp and they're hoping that that stamp gets them more money. And right yeah. now, that's the cheapest way to get that more money. And the better rating is to buy the stamp. I had a conversation with a utility, like they, you know, provide a state with 
natural gas and electricity. And utilities now understand that the opportunity is to use federal money that comes out in these uh, reinvestment packages through our government in the U.S., I'm sure through others, to help fund the technology and the technology development to transform the way that they do business. So that's why all of the sustainability stuff had a really tough road for a long time, aside from the crappy communications, is that incentives and regulations didn't line up. And there was something else that you brought up about um, what happens when, oh, I'm forgetting it now. It was what happens when when something had happened, and the, and the parallel I was drawing is that there's a, stuff is changing, right? Like if utilities, if Exxon, if, if they're looking to transform the way that they do business into a more sustainable one, it's not because they all of a sudden change their mind. It's because there's money for them to do it. And what I would say is, if you are a company looking to understand this stuff, then you got to be able to find someone who understands the macro view on it, who gets why the pieces are moving and where they're moving and what the next moves are going to be. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, this is a time where companies, brands will emerge as leaders in this sustainability space even though the movements have gone on for years and years because now the incentives and the regulations are lining up and companies have the ability to say hey look we're ahead of these we're ahead of the regulations we are doing things not just by buying carbon credits we're doing it by actually implementing renewable energy systems to power our buildings to power our operating plants we're improving our supply chain efficiency. We're putting that on chain. Mm -hmm. Imagine, you know, there's, you, you go into a grocery store and you only buy kosher meat. And kosher meat costs you three times as much to buy as non-kosher meat. And you're trusting that the package that your meat comes in is telling you the truth. What we've learned since social media came about is that a lot of what the public thought was the truth about things just wasn't it was yeah. corporations or brands you know kind of managing them and moving them from place to place to get them to buy the product i think that you know having a like a kosher beef supply chain on chain would allow for people to scan a product at the store, maybe get an immediate check mark that tells you, you know, everything's good, but then you can like go through and you can see this cow was born here. It grew up on this farm. This farm is managed by this, by this family for this many years. They only produce kosher meat. The rabbi that supervises it is this guy. And it like, it's this like trustless 
society, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, it, yeah, I think that if you have the right people around you, it doesn't matter what changes. And you just have to be able to know where the stuff exists when it does change. So. Uh, 100%. Um, change, which basically just means for me right now, changing our habits alone is just one part of the story. Because if companies just rebrand and put some nice little logos on it, as we all know it, uh, then that doesn't help much. right? We think we do a better job, but we don't. And what's super interesting here is that, let's say, mix of two big technology groups blockchain and internet of things right we actually have sensors all over the supply chain from the source to the end to the end consumer that actually can track every single step in a transparent way and as you said beautifully trustless manner right that's just awesome so sorry did you want to say something Um, well that's definitely a huge huge part of the story but we mentioned before that one of the biggest issues is still the engagement in the whole space like how to actually get involved with ESG doing something good for the environment and um, since you are actually trying to build something in that space in that area to solve that issue i would love to hear from you how you think we could approach for example that engagement issue with web3 metaverse nft whatsoever so uh, what i'll say is is that the world series of poker stuff taught me that you need to make things fun because not everybody is the same kind of geek that I am and wants to be doing policy stuff. And the 2030 is a few years away and that's perhaps too early, but 2050 is farther off. And we have opportunities to reach climate goals, but the way to do it, it's it's not going to be me doing it at you know 100 years old or yeah. 80 years old it's going to be the younger generations and those younger generations spend a lot of time playing games and they spend a lot of time socializing through games and socializing online in other ways and if web3 is just the next online then The way to teach people, I think, is going to be through that gameplay more and more. I Kids are already learning through gaming apps. Yeah. My daughter plays a, a math game and a, a reading game and Crazy. wants to play more of it. And... I remember as a kid when Space Invaders and Asteroids and Pitfall first came out, I would play them obsessively. And the thing that it taught me looking back was that I could fail, I could fuck up, 
But as long as I didn't throw the controller against the TV, which I did plenty of times, calling the game a cheater, um, <laughs> I, I would be able to go, right? Like, you cheater. You cheated Atari. Um, and I would be able to go back and play that same part again and eventually figure out how to get past it. It teaches you not to give up and to fail really quick and to be resilient when you fail really quick. And those are skills that will take people far in life. So the idea of making a game, first of all, I love the scuba dive, so, and nobody does underwater stuff, so I figured the scuba-verse was a really good way to do it. Um, because if I can get folks to be in the same mindset as I'm in when I scuba dive as they play this game, then they'll be present. Mm -hmm. And that presence is where amazing stuff happens. Because if people are mindful, paying attention, 100% in it, yeah. and you're teaching them about something that's important but also really fun, then they're going to want to keep doing it more and more and more. And if you base rewards around learning, yeah. I think there will be a lot more of these learn-to-earn, conserve-to-earn games if you base the rewards around learning and people compete against their buddies to have the best score or the coolest avatar with the coolest shit and the coolest NFT add-ons that they can rent or sell or whatever, I think that like it's just meeting them where they are. This is the stuff that they want to be doing anyway. And we all as older folks need to be able to help them. And if we don't, we fail. And failing is a big issue. Failing means that every time some crazy ass country wants to invade another country, it means that we have to spend tons of money, go into a mini recession, deal with inflation, fund that because we're too politically involved to actually participate in that. Mm -hmm. But what we're doing is protecting oil. There's a ton of oil there. If we had to, if we didn't have to fight wars over oil anymore, sending tons of troops, troops to die, sending tons of equipment, some of which will get blown to pieces and cost millions of dollars, and putting gas in all of those things to get them from the U.S. over to wherever they're going, and then to set up bases and electrify those bases yeah, and provide hot water to those bases. It's, I mean, seriously, it's, if we didn't have to do that, how much more money would we have to do the things that would actually move us forward as a species, as humanity? It's, uh, it's, I mean, it's aggravating to me that people even, like, we even have to have this conversation. I, you know, I told you last week, I was scheduled to talk to someone the morning that that war broke out in the, in the mm -hmm. Ukraine. And I texted him. I'm like, I'm running a few minutes late. I'll probably, you know, I'm like three minutes late. 
And he got back to me, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to postpone. War broke out in my country. Like, crazy. Fuck. What the fuck? Seriously. So, yeah, I think that we could do much better. And I think that gameplay is where kids are. So why not meet them where they are so that there's zero barrier to entry? Yeah, but and they this... could just learn. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. But what this clearly shows um, basically is, and there's a nice quote from the famous Interstellar movie, right? Um, that people have a hard time thinking as a species, but always only can relate to people that are close to them, either from a, a distance perspective, right? Or at least uh, maybe from being personally or some other way feeling attached to them right because they can relate to them in a specific way but that's definitely and i would also uh sign that as well that's the big issue why we even need to engage them with some other ways for example through games right to get a bigger share of people that not necessarily care about the issue itself but at least they're contributing to solving the issue or mitigating the risk that something bad happens. Yeah, and, and I think yeah. most people care about those issues. But the problem is they get politicized. And it becomes, you know, are you on this side or are you on this side? There's no side. Like, do you like to go to the beach? Do, do you want to step on a hypodermic needle when you go to the beach? <laughs> I don't. Like, that shit should be cleaned up. Yep. Right. If if you go on a vacation to a tropical island, do you want that island to have shit everywhere? Just stink, be disgusting. So, you know, one of the things I, I've been getting a little bit more involved in in engagement around Africa too, for the SDGs because these sustainable development goals, things like ending poverty, ending hunger, and like reversing climate change these are things that are important to everybody like yeah. if you're if your mother or father or child was hungry would you try to give them food sure. or would you walk away and so if we can think as a global community versus just like you said Uh, think about the people that are close to us. Everybody deserves the same thing. And the thing is, in, in the instance of Africa, they, when it comes to electronic waste, let's say, they are mining some of the minerals that are going into the chips, right? They get paid a very small amount for the stuff that comes out of the mountain or out of the ground compared to the amount that that chip is worth when it's returned to Africa to be thrown away because the rest of the world just takes it, uses it. And then when it's done, it just uses Africa to dump it. So there's a lot of people on that continent that understand, understand what the future looks like. One of them is a, a guy I've been lucky enough to meet and talk with a little bit. And um, his name is Dr. Richard Munang, Munang, sorry. 
M-U-N-A-N-G. He's the deputy director of the UN Environment Program for Africa. Mm -hmm. And he's got a program called Innovative Volunteerism, which spurs Africans on to the young and the young at heart, as he puts it, which spurs them on to engaging in industries where the technology will make them wealthy one day but now but now is time to put in the work and i think that from talking with him his desire is to spread this globally my desire is to help him i think it would be amazing if we could get kids engaged in volunteering the way that maybe we were when i was a kid in the 80s by doing things except now using the technology that exists so that as they learn this technology they become leaders in the space because this is we just need this generation to become a leader generation for all of them to understand they have the power to make the changes that we need to see they just have to re- like they just have to work at it just like they work at other things that they care about and if we can make that work fun and easy through gameplay then it's our fucking responsibility to do it 100% um yeah we have now uh, talked a lot about uh, the issues and how we could possibly engage the youth into solving these problems um are there some things um, that you think either companies or individuals could do to support that mission to actually um, do something for the environment, for example, or for other SDGs? Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, if you look at the list of SDGs and maybe in the show notes for this, you can put uh, a link to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. There's 17 of them. Maybe if you look at that list and you think about which ones on that list mean something to you, like when you read it, you feel it inside of you, then you can start to figure out like which bucket you want to focus on. For me, it's climate, ocean conservation, stuff like that. And then once you figure that out, should think about what you like to do with that bucket like if it's for me with ocean i like to go scuba diving i like to be in the water looking at pretty stuff and not picking up garbage i like to walk on the beach i like to pick Mm -hmm. up shells and not garbage and for me like i have the desire to do the policy stuff that most people don't ever want to do so that's that's like where i can help but maybe someone else is like, hey, I go to the beach a lot and I know other people that go. So I'm going to put together a beach cleanup and we're going to clean up the beach that we like to go to. If enough people do beach cleanups at their own beaches, then we wind up with cleaner beaches and cleaner oceans. And we don't have, you know, in New Jersey a couple weeks ago, I was walking on the boardwalk and I saw hundreds of dolphins. Playing and eating, obviously, (laughs) but playing too. And then you see whales and you see the big spray coming up. And 
I mean, we have this stuff in New Jersey. We have seals in New Jersey. We have bald eagles in New Jersey. We have amazing wildlife. And I want them to still be here. And I want them to be in New York. And so, I, I, like, we're going to, our first mini game is going to be around New York City. And it will let us show the waterways around New York City mm-hmm. as they are now with all the shipping traffic and, and the animal life that's there. But then it'll help people to learn how to clean that up. And it'll show them what it will look like when it is clean. It, it's crazy that there's so much water right there. And most people would never. I mean, there was a Seinfeld episode where Kramer went swimming in the river and he stunk. And there's a reason why he stunk. And it's not a joke. So mm-hmm. I think like if people just look at the things that they care about, like if you care about food insecurity then maybe go volunteer with a soup kitchen a little bit and and do stuff or if your thing is not volunteering but you know you own a company or you have a lot of money then maybe that's where you donate money or resources from your company to help out you know there's most companies participate in some charity work because it benefits them tax-wise so just pick the things like if you're already going to do something, then pick something that matters to you, matters to your family. Mm-hmm. I would say that that's like start where you are. Not everybody wants to donate money. Not everybody wants to go for a climate march. Not everybody wants to build a game. Think about the thing that you like to do and how what you like to do can help the thing that you care about. Yeah, that's what I would say. There's uh, not sure if you know it. Um, there's a uh, another nice saying about this. Basically, goes like this: Life just has to be meaningful enough to justify its suffering. Because life can obviously be really hard to anyone, but having something where you know you are actually doing something that's not useless you know you're actually helping someone or something you know to to grow and um that's definitely something that can help you as a individual as well from a whole mindset and life oh, perspective yeah. and agreed 100 percent agreed <laughs> love it <laughs> um well i would have one last question for you Uh, to give the audience maybe some kind of let's say CTA um, are there three things that you want them to remember or do after this podcast Um, I would say really think about the things that are important to you When I was younger, I worked uh, in a hospital, and I worked in critical care, trauma, and uh, neonatal intensive care, and saw a lot of people die. And I spent time with a bunch of them right before they died. Some of them could talk, and some of them couldn't. Some of them, it was two days before, and some of them, it was the two or three minutes before they died. 
And the things that they would talk to me about were not how much money they had. They were not how much of a boss they were. It was all about, I wish my family was here. I, I should have spent more time doing this. I really loved this. And instead of doing it, I did something else. You know, and, and you and I have talked before, so you know I had a spinal injury. Um, and it changed the way that I do things. Um, and now it's probably why I walk as much as I do, because I appreciate it differently. I would say don't wait until you're at that point where you're either dead, about to be dead, or are paralyzed to come up with the thing that you care about and to start putting some of your effort towards it. That would be number one. And it's not that difficult. It could be spending time with the people you love. It could be focusing on solving one of the SDGs. It could be getting your kid to eat broccoli once a week, whatever it is. Like, you know, setting a child up with good habits for life is a really big deal. Providing them with the emotional security that they need is a really big deal. And if that's something you have the ability to provide to someone, then that's a really great start. Number two, I would say, when you talk about boring shit, like sustainability to a lot of people, you gotta make it fun. You gotta meet people where they are. And if you don't, then you're leaving it on the table. Like, just most people care about the, the real things that you care about. And I found that out and it's been so amazing and amazingly humbling to talk to people about sustainability and to talk to them about ESG and to talk to them about making it fun. And, and to hear them, people who I respect say to me, like, this is important. This makes sense. And I would say that this is what I'm doing, ESG and the scoop of first. Other people are doing things in the same space, in the impact space, that will help us to reach other of the SDGs. This shit is all important. It's not going to be one game. It's not going to be one thing. It's not, it's not going to be five things. These are huge goals for a reason. They are global problems. Yeah. And if, if we all work together separately, like a DAO, kind of, we all work together towards a common goal, wearing different glasses and looking for creative solutions that we can come to collaboratively. We could solve these problems fucking they did it with GameStop like a bunch of people decided they were going to move the market and they beat hedge funds and I think people don't see what I see in that I see that what happened was there was a shift in the way that the financial markets could move if mm -hmm. this decentralized group of investors wanted to do it somewhere else and I think it's the same thing with impact. If you get enough people pushing in the same direction, you know, a project about the ocean, a project about the trees, a project about the mountains, a project about hunger, a project about, and you have 
50,000 of each of those projects located in the U.S. and in Africa and in Northern Europe and in South America. There can't be enough of it. Like, there's not enough of it until we reach the goals. And it's the same yeah. mindset I took to learning to walk after the injury. People are like, oh, well, you know, it's, that's really hard. I'm like, no, it wasn't. Like, I, like, I was going to walk where I was going to die. So either I was going to be a 97-year-old dude still in a wheelchair or at my 96th birthday, maybe I would learn to walk by then. It didn't matter. Like, there's no giving up on the things that are really, really, really important. And these sustainable development goals are that. They're really, really, really important. That's powerful. Yeah. Um, in the end, all of them or most of them will impact us as well so in general take care look have a look at them because definitely many people haven't even uh, don't know them possibly i don't know and yeah most people don't like if it's not in your universe then it's not in your universe hopefully one of the things that we and other impact projects can do is to bring it into people's universe yeah 100 agree um, yeah, I would say thank you, Eric, for that great discussion. Um, I really enjoyed it. I hope the audience as well. And yeah, I will put all the links to Eric's projects into the description, also uh, to the SDG development goals. And yeah, I would say thank you for taking the time. And yeah, talk soon. Thank you. Kevin, thank you very much for having me on. It was great talking to you Likewise. off of this. And uh, it was also really great doing this here. Perhaps uh, in the future we could do other sustainably focused podcasts and bring guests on to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and Shana was super open to that. Um, I think I told you. But uh, Wayfact in the past was a social tech startup, so I have yeah. some connection to it. I know so. you are. That's <laughs> why I'm telling you this. <laughs> Then for the audience. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I forgot we have an audience. I thought we were just talking. That's perfect. How it should be. Hey. I hope you have a great rest of your day, buddy. You too, Thank mate. You. See Bye. ya. Bye. Wayfact, the web-free software company that understands what you want.